Cool. So the book of Genesis. Um, I'm gonna start off with the with a brief intro- introduction. I'm, I'm I'm really big on introductions. You know, I, I I love Bible introductions. I love you know book introductions. You know, because I believe that that a strong introduction just gives you a, a clear a clear uh, understanding of the rest of the book. You know, so but this is gonna be just a, a brief introduction to the to the book of Genesis. And so the book of Genesis, you guys know the first the first book of the Bible. Um, the word Genesis actually means origins. So it's a book of origins, and in it we'll see the origins of creation, the origins of mankind, of marriage, of sin, of curse, of redemption, the origins of good and evil, and even the origins of the nation of Israel. As we follow the line, the, as we follow the seed from Abraham, from Adam down to Abraham, and then to Isaac and Jacob, and then the 12 tribes. So, the book, of, the book of Genesis, the author is uh, Moses. And uh, so Moses, he, he compiled this, believe that he compiled the book of Genesis, uh, both with, with uh, old scriptures that they had already, old historic documents that they had already, and then special revelation that he, re- that he received from the Lord. Because there's certain things in here that, that, that no one could have known unless they received directly from God. So it's believed that, that Moses, you know, as, as we know that he was very studied in the ways of the Egyptians, he was a very intelligent man. And so it's believed that, that he wrote the, the book of Genesis along with the rest of the Pentateuch, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, as also known as the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And it was written sometime after the Exodus in uh, 1445 BC. And pretty much the, the book of Genesis has, has this outline. It has the creation account in chapter 1. It has the generations of Adam in chapters 2 through 5. The generations of Noah in chapters 6 through 11. The generations of Abraham in chapters 11 through 25. And then Isaac, 25 through 28. Jacob, 29 through 38. And Joseph, 39 through 50. So really what it is, is as, as we go through the whole book of Genesis, we see just a book of generations. And, and it's interesting to know that, 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 you know, somewhere along the line, there was more people on earth, you know, as, as the earth began to, to populate more and more. But the, the Holy Spirit decided to focus in on these, on these key players so to say, of, of, this, of these generations, because, again, the whole scripture is about Jesus. You know, and, and I, I love the, the gospel of Matthew because it, it, he gives us a, a genealogy all the way down from Adam to Joseph to Mary to Jesus. So we see that the whole Bible is about Jesus. And we see that the story of, of redemption, the story of the Messiah, the story of, 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 of God's Christ, you know, is from Genesis. Man, we see, we see the first mention of him there in, in chapter 3. So we see that, that, that Jesus is, that the whole Bible is about Jesus. And though there were more people on earth at, at the time, you know, the Bible chose to zero in on, on these key players, on this generation, to follow down all the way down to Messiah. So the book of Genesis is, is crucial for understanding the rest of the Bible. In Genesis, we're given the foundations for the doctrines of sin, of the fall, the doctrine of redemption, the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of the promised Messiah, and the person of God, as we learn about the attributes of God as we go through the book of Genesis. Even just in this first chapter, we learn so much about the person of God, about the attributes of God, of who God is. So verses 1 through 5, I'm sorry, verses 1 through 5, the first day. And it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So it's here, the first five verses, first day. And I, I mean, and even as we go through this, uh, through this chapter, you know, the, the, the account of creation, we're giving kind of like the, the simplified version of it, you know, but, but I just think it's just, again, so, so amazing that the God of the universe, that, that he created, I mean, everything that he created in just one day. And it's just amazing. You know, and as we see that, that God created everything that we see around us and everything that we don't see around us by just his spoken word. You know, and that he created everything out of nothing. And, and you know, sometimes I think we got to just, just meditate on that. The fact that, that God created everything out of nothing. Because sometimes we go through, something in our, through things in our lives. Like, I go through stuff in my life and I'm thinking, man, Lord, I got nothing. There's, no, there's absolutely nothing that could good, that good that could come from this. I have nothing, Lord. And God says, good. You know, I can do something with that. Because God, God is an expert at making something out of nothing. And we think, man, the Lord made... Made made uh, made so much out of nothing. You know, he, he created the whole universe, galaxies, you know, this earth, every single species of animal, us. And I think, man, Lord, that's something I think that, that 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 my problems are too big for him to do anything with. And so it's so important to, to remember to just stay grounded in the word of God and to know, man, God is God is uh, omniscient, he's supreme. You know, he could he could do anything. So verses 1 through 5, the first day, and it starts out by saying, in the beginning, God. I love that. Because this is an account, this is an account of the creation of the universe, but before anything else existed, God existed. So it says, in the beginning, God. Before anything else existed, God existed. And God always existed. He is the uncreated being, eternal, without beginning or end. Again, the uncreated being. Psalms 90, verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So we see that the everlasting God before the earth was formed had us in mind. I think that's so, so just incredible. Again, God is, is, is everlasting. You know, he had no beginning, no end. He always existed. And it's, it's often to think that 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 in the mind, that in the mind of God in eternity, you know, He had He had us in mind. There in Ephesians one four says, Paul writes to the believers there at Ephesus, and he says, just as He chose us, talking about God, he says, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, for what that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So I just think it's awesome that that the eternal, uncreated, uncaused God. You know, he exists throughout all eternity, and yet in all eternity, he had us in mind, and and, and he knew, he knew our lives very uh, intimately. He knew everything that we were going to go through. He knew everything that we were going to experience. You know, he he knew already our ups and our downs, our highs and our lows, our 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 our, our wise and our and our and our and our narrows. He knew everything about us already. And the thing that before he even created the heavens and the earth, he had us in mind, and we see that that that, that what he's doing here as he's creating the earth. The earth and all the animals and everything, you know, he, as you notice, he, he created man last. And really what he's doing is that he was preparing a place for, for mankind to dwell, a place for us to dwell. So as we read that he created the heavens and the earth and the stars and the moon and the sun and all the animals and the grass and the herbs and the trees and all these things. Keep in mind that, that, that God is preparing a place for us to live. And I can just imagine, I mean, 
I, I can't think how God thinks, you know, but in my little puny brain, I think, man, maybe God was creating the stars. You would think, man, they would love this. Oh, they would get a kick out of just watching the stars all night. Oh, man, shooting stars also. Oh, they would love this. Man, all these different types of animals. Man, they would love these animals. Man, all these, all these fruits, ooh, they're, they're going to be so good for them. They're going to love these fruits. They're going to love these things. And I just think, man, God had us in mind all along. And really, the, the, the story of creation is God preparing a, a dwelling place for man. So he had us in mind all along as he's creating these things. Know that, that, that you're at the forefront of all this creation because he's doing it for you and for me. So again, the everlasting God, before the earth was even formed, he had us in mind. And so the question comes up sometimes, why did God create us? You know, if God is everlasting, if God is all-powerful, if God is, is, is self-sufficient, if he's perfect, why did he create us? Why did he create man? Did he need someone to love? Was he lonely? You know, sometimes people, I've never heard someone say, oh, God created us so he could love us. You know, so he could, so, because he needs somebody to love. He needs somebody to show his love towards. And that's not true. Because God is perfect. He's always been perfect. He is, he is eternal. He is, he is absolutely perfect. And, and perfect love exists within the Trinity. So, so God didn't need to create anything or anyone to show his love to because there, perfect love already existed in the Trinity. It's not that God was lonely because God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons within that one God, equally God, equally eternal, equally powerful. And, 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 and there was perfect fellowship within the Trinity already. So why did God create us? God created us so that we could enjoy Him. There's a verse in Revelation, I think it's 411, it's not on the notes, but... I think I believe it's 411 where it says that, that God created us for, for His good pleasure. Then I've translated that, that we're created for His good pleasure. So that we can know God, so we could just enjoy God. So God didn't create us because He needed us. He, he's perfect. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anyone. But He created us so that we can know Him. So, so it's, we're the ones that are, that are benefiting from this. So that we can enter into this, this love relationship with the Creator. He did it all for us. And it's just awesome to think that, that He created us knowing that Adam and Eve were going to sin. Knowing that there was going to be a fall. Knowing that, that there was going to be a lot of hatred towards Him throughout the centuries. I mean, you look, you, look, you look at the world around us today and there's just so much hatred towards God. I mean, man, as soon as someone finds out you're a Christian, it's like all of a sudden, you know, you're, you got this black label on you. And, and, and now you're all of a sudden, you're, you get picked on, you get, you get looked down upon, you get, you get mistreated. You know, sometimes, I mean, in other, other parts of the country, you know, Christians are, are second class citizens. You know, they're lower class citizens. And nothing's changed. I mean, it's still like that. But it's just awesome to think that, that God created us, that he created humankind, you know, for us. To know him for his good pleasure, knowing that 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 man was going to rebel against him, knowing that there's going to be God haters out there, you know, damning God, cursing God, turning their back on him, rejecting him to the fullest, and not just rejecting him but coming against him. But he created us for his good, for his good pleasure, so that we can know him. So he says, in the beginning, God, says, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. It's interesting that he says, there in the first few verses, so he says, let there be light. So we see that God created light before he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. 
And I would always read this and I would always think, man, it, it doesn't make sense to me. You know, like he said, let there be light. And then a few verses later, he creates the, the sun and the moon and the stars, which, 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 are, which are light. And, and, and that always puzzled me. That always puzzled me. You know, and I mean, I, I, can't, see, I can't see for sure, but you know, my, my belief is that, is that this light that he's talking about is his own glory. So we see that God created light before he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And in heaven, there, when, we, when we read the book of Revelation, it says that there will be no need for the sun. It says, for God himself will be their light. There in heaven, you know, where, where everything is perfected, when we're there with, with, with the Lord, it says that there will be no more need for the sun because God himself will be the light. So I'm wondering if this light that he created was, was this light that was emanating from his glory. I'm reminded of, of Moses as, as he was there in the wilderness, you know, he was talking with the Lord and he said, he tells God, God, let me see you. And God says, no, you can't, you can't see me. He says, Lord, I want to see you. He says, no, you can't see me or you'll die. And God tells him, but I'll let you see my back, the backside of my glory. And as, and as Moses was there up there in the mountain with God, he sees the backside of God's glory and says that, he, that as he was coming down the mountain and his face was shining bright. So bright that, the, that, that, that everyone else was blinded by, 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 the, by the shining light that was on Moses' face because he was with God. So it's here that, that God said, let there be light. Says, and there was light. And God said that the, that the light was good and God divided the light from the darkness. John 1, uh, 4 through 5 says, And him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Then we see that God divided the light from the darkness. And really this is a principle that God has established from the very beginning, that separation of light and darkness. And all throughout scripture, light is always associated with, with God, with the things of God. And darkness is always associated with with Satan and and uh, sin, judgment, you know, things of, of of that realm. And God says here that He divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. So again, this principle that that, that God is establishing of just of separating the light from the darkness. First John one. Verses 5 through 7 says, God is light, and in him, in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, but walk in darkness, we are lying. But if we, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So we see that us as believers are called to be set apart. To make that personal separation in our lives between light and darkness. Again, this, this principle that God established from the very beginning, the very first day of creation, separating the light from the dark. And we as believers, you know, taking that to a spiritual sense, in a spiritual meaning, us as believers, we're called to, to, to constantly uh, be set apart. You know, we're called to, to separate that light from the darkness within us. You know, it's not that we're going to get rid of our sin completely, because we know that that's just our sinful nature. You know, and we're not going to be made perfect until we get to heaven. So there's always going to be just that, that, that internal struggle, you know, between, between the light and the dark. You know, but, but our duty as, as believers, as Bible-believing Christians, is to, is to draw closer to the Lord. As we, as we read a few weeks ago there in John 15, to abide in the vine. As Jesus said, if you abide in me, he says, and, and, and my, and then I will abide in you. And he says, because apart from me, you can do nothing. So as Christians, we're called to be set apart, to be separated, to separate that light and the darkness within us. And he goes on to, to write in verses 6 through 8, the second day. 
Verse 6 through 8 says, Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. So we see this word firmament. It's mentioned a lot. There's just in those few verses firmament. And really what this word firmament means is expanse. It's a, it's a space. It's a space. And we see that God put a space between the waters. So there was waters and he put a space between the waters. And now there's upper waters and there's lower waters. It says that the upper waters he called heaven. So the sky. Now this, this upper water that, 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 that is mentioned here, it's, it's probably talking about you know, the, 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 the mist that, that's in the clouds. As we know that the clouds you know, carry rain. And it's just awesome to, to, to see that, 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 God made that, that God made that ever since the beginning. You know, and that, that he created the clouds to, to carry water. And even though they weren't going to see rain until about 10 chapters down, you know, it was awesome to see how God had this rain already prepared. You know, he had, he had this rain already prepared for, for when Noah built the ark and, and God made the flood, you know, come upon the whole earth. It's just awesome to see God's, God's sovereignty in, in every single aspect of creation. But again, we see this word firmament. It also means it's expanse. It means a space. So God created the space between the, the upper waters and the lower waters. And he said he called the, the, higher, the higher firmament the sky. He called it heaven. Paul there in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 3 through 4, it says that he went up to the third heaven. So the Bible talk mentions mentioned heaven, you know, and, and heaven is, 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 is a broad word to describe um, heaven where, where God dwells and, and to, to, to describe the sky and the atmosphere. So Paul there in, in 2 Corinthians, he starts telling a story about it. He says, hey, I, I know a man, I don't know if, if it was in the body or if it was a dream or it was a, it was a vision. He was talking about himself. And he says, but this man, he went up to the third heaven and he saw things that are, that are just, that, are, that would be a sin to even describe. You know, so he mentioned the third heaven and there's all kinds of weird teachings about the third heaven. Oh, there's the third heaven and if, and, and if you're good enough, you get to the third heaven and second heaven and all kinds of crazy teachings out there about this third heaven. But really the, this word heaven was, when he's talking about the, the third heaven, the first heaven is just the sky. You know, the sky, the atmosphere here, what we can see. The second heaven talks about the outer space where where there's where there where there's no gravity, you know, where the stars dwell, where where the, the sun, moon, the stars are, and their third heaven will be God's dwelling place. So see that God made the firmament, he said he he separated the firmament, the top one from the bottom one, and the top one he called he called heaven. So he could be talking about heaven as a whole, the sky, the atmosphere, the outer space, and then his dwelling place. Then verses 9 through 13 talks about the third day. And it says, Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the earth that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself of the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. So we see that God makes now a dry land appear, and, and He calls this dry land earth. So the third day He makes the earth, the dry land. And it says that He clothes the earth with grass and vegetation, all kinds of herb, 
and stuff, things that are, are going to continue to reproduce on its own. And just and God's, again, just so sovereign how he created everything. I mean, imagine if, if, if there was a tree planted and if it gained no fruit and if that fruit had no seeds, then, I mean, we would have to, have to constantly be having to plant these trees. You know, but, but God made it that, 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 that the earth would, would be self-sustained. You know, and it's just, it just so amazing. I mean, it's these little things that, that, that we don't think about. You know, I'm eating an apple and I get the seeds and I spit out the seeds. And, 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 or I'm eating a lemon, you know, and, and we throw out the lemons or an avocado. And we cut out the, we take the, the big old seed out we throw it away. But we don't think about, about, about what God is, is doing, you know, in creation. And, and just the, the little things, you know, that, that we just forget about. And we think, man, Lord, you're so sovereign. You're so sovereign that, 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 you, that you put these seeds in the fruit and then you cause the, the tree to, to bring forth fruit with the same seeds that would have fall. It will continue to reproduce. God is just so amazing. God is so sovereign. And it's cool to know that He uses that same sovereignty in our lives. You know, as things are just, uh, and we know as a song that we sang earlier, that He causes all things to work together for our good, like it says there in Romans 8, 28. He causes all things to work together for our good. You know, there's a purpose in it and in everything that God does. You know, it's, we look at creation, we look at even, I mean, if there's a purpose in, 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 a, in, a, on the, in an apple tree, if there's a purpose in the apple, in the fruit that's in an apple tree, if there's a purpose that, in this little fruit that no one cares about, if there's a purpose in even the smallest things here in this, in this universe, then we could be sure that, that God has a purpose in our own lives and us who were made in God's own image. Verses 14, 14 through 19, the fourth day, it says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So we see the fourth day. We see that light in the firmament of heaven now appear. And then God created in the fourth day the sun and the moon, the two, the two greater stars, the two greater lights. And notice it says that when he created these things, it says that he created them for signs and seasons and for days and for years. Again, God's purpose in, in creating everything. There's, there's, there's a purpose behind, behind everything. And I was reading this and, you know, other things that I read in the Bible just made me chuckle. But this, makes, this made me chuckle because it's funny how people will reject God, reject the Bible, reject His Word, yet they are living as God intended without even knowing. I mean, using, using His resources. I mean, we still measure day and night by the sun and the moon and the stars. And we still measure time by, by, by the amount of sunlight that we, that we get in a day. You know, and another thing, marriage. I mean, a lot of people say they don't, they don't believe in God, they're atheists, but yet they get married. And sometimes I talk to, to atheists like that and I ask them, well, why do you guys get married? And, well, they're like, well, what do you mean? Why are we trying to, we love each other, this and that. Well, marriage is, is an institute of God. God instituted marriage there here in creation. I mean, if it wasn't for God, marriage wouldn't exist. But yet people want to reject God, deny God, but yet they're, 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 they're living in his institutions without even knowing. They're getting married. I just, I just thought that was funny. You know, same thing with the, with the moon and the stars and the sky and, the, and these, these great lights. Again, people reject God, but yet they still live within his boundaries. You know, they, still, they still live off his resources. 
They still tell time by, by the sunlight. They still tell night by the moon and the stars. But yet, I hate God. And then he says, there in verse 16, the bottom part says, he made the stars also. And, and I just love how, how the writer just threw that in there, just so nonchalant, just, oh yeah, by the way, he made the stars also. Like if it was just, like if it was nothing. You know, and, and if that's really, that's our God. That, that's the God that we serve, that he's a great God. I mean, greater than anything we could ever imagine. That to him, the stars, and we see these trillions and trillions of galaxies out, out there in the universe. And, and he made it with one, two, three, four, five words. He made the stars also. And I was reading this, you know, and one, I'm, I'm, I'm a big stargazer, you know. I love the sky, I love the stars, I love, I love, love being outside at nighttime when you're up like in the desert or something and just looking at the stars. And I'm reminded of a couple years ago when I was in the Amazon, in the Amazon rainforest. And I remember out there, we were staying in this little island that, that was controlled by the, by the Colombian government. So at 10 o'clock, they would, they would cut power off to the whole island. I mean, no electricity because they were controlled by the, by the, by the government. You know, so at 10 o'clock, they would shut down all electricity. You couldn't charge your phone, you couldn't turn on the light, you couldn't do anything. But it's like when the lights went off, it's like, man, the greater light just came on. And you would look up to the sky and it was just, man, there was just thousands and thousands and thousands of stars. Like more stars than I've ever seen in my whole life. I mean, it looked like somebody just grabbed a, a, a sheet of black construction paper and threw a bunch of salt on it. And that's how many stars there were. And Liz has been there too. She went there before me. She could testify the same thing. And I remember just being up there and just gazing at the stars and thinking, man, oh, this is crazy. Just all kinds of crazy stars. See like some pink colors over here, some blue colors over here, showing stars like every two minutes. And I'm thinking, man, did this, is this real? And, and as I was reading this, he made the stars also. That's all it took God to make all that. He made the stars also. Five words. One, two, three, yeah, five words. He made the stars also. But guys, that, that's the God that we serve. You know, and again, we think, we think sometimes, or I'll speak for myself, I think, man, Lord, this problem is too big. I know, Lord, I, I don't even want to bother you with it, Lord. I don't even want to pray because, Lord, I know you're too busy with everyone else's prayers, Lord. And you're too busy with, with everything else, Lord. And, and, and even if you didn't listen, or maybe there's no way you could do something with this. That's how I think sometimes. Oh, ye of little faith. But, but yet, I read this and I think, man, God is so good. You know, He's so great. And, and definitely there's nothing beyond His power. There's definitely nothing beyond His control. He is sovereign. He is, he is powerful. He is great. He is mighty. And then verses 20 to 23, the fifth day, it says, Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let, let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the sky of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. So we see in the fifth, in the fifth day, God creates every living creature. And then it says, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Now, this is the first time that this word blessed appears in the Bible. The first time that this word blessed appears in the Bible is here when, when he blesses the, the creatures that he, that he created. He says, and God blessed them, saying, be, free, be fruitful and multiply. The next page, we'll see that, 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 that God blessed man. 
And he told him the same thing, be fruitful and multiply. So the first time that the word blessed is mentioned here in, in Genesis chapter 1 and creation. And now again, keep in mind that all this that God just did, you know, so we just, we just read about the whole creation, you know, in five days. Keep in mind that, that all this that God did, you know, it was for the intention of us enjoying it. You know, God has created this just for us to enjoy. He's preparing our home. And I was, I was reading this, and I was thinking of the words of Jesus when he was talking to his disciples. And he says, hey, I go to prepare a place for you. And, and if I go to prepare a place for you, then I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. So if it wasn't true, then, then I, would, I wouldn't be saying this. So he said this. He says, if it wasn't true, I wouldn't be saying this. So he's putting his money where his mouth is. And we see that, that God did that from the very beginning as he, as he created the heavens and the earth. You know, he's preparing a place for man. You know, for what? For that, so that man could inhabit it, so that we could inhabit it, so that mankind could inhabit it. So he's preparing a place for us. Now, God prepared this place here and, and took five days. In six days, he's, he's, we'll see that the, the, he finishes up in six days with creating, creating human beings, creating Adam. But he created, you know, his dwelling place. Now, Jesus ascended into to the fathers about 2,000 plus years ago. And he says, I'll be back. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. So God the Father, well, God created the whole universe, the earth and everything in, in, in six days. And so it took him six days to, to prepare a place for us. Jesus has been preparing a place for us for 2,000 years. So I just think, man, how much more glorious is heaven going to be, man? When we get to heaven, I think, man, Lord, this is like above anything that, that I could even imagine. Man, Lord, if you created all this in six days, I can't, just can't imagine, you know, what, what our, our, our dwelling place in heaven is going to look like. What heaven is going to look like. What heaven is going to be like. And with that, keep in mind that, that He is going to come back for us. He's going to come back for us. If He's preparing a place for us right now, He's not going to prepare it just to leave it abandoned. You know, He's preparing it for us so that so He can come back and receive us to Himself. And we see the sixth day, verses 24 through 31. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the birds, over the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and everything, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that, that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now notice, everything else that he created, he said it was good. But when he created man, he said it was very good. So we see now the, the sixth day. The sixth day. We see that God fills the land with animals. In verse 24, it says, Let the earth bring forth the living creature. 
So we see that, that, that the living creature was, was made out of the earth, you know, out of the dust of the earth. There in chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 7 of Genesis, it says that the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. So we see that both man and beast were formed from the dust of the ground, which explains why, why animal bodies and why human bodies decompose uh, similarly. You know, they both smell, they both, it's a similar process of, of decomposition when, when, a, when, when a corpse dies, whether it's an animal or a human being. And we see that it's because we're both made of the, of the dust of the ground. But even though we're made similarly, we are very different from all other created things. Mankind is the only of all, of all other created things that was formed in God's image. Everything else God created, He spoke into existence. But when it came to man, you know, it says that, that He made us in His own image. Animals are not made according to God's image. I mean, we love animals. I love, well, love my dog. You know, we love our cat. We love, you know, we love animals. But, but they weren't created in God's image. You know, and, and then he says, let us make man in our image. So who was God talking to? You guys ever wonder that? God is, he, he's talking there in verse 26. He says, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Our image and our likeness. So who is he talking to? It's crazy that this was a, a divine dialogue between the Trinity. A divine dialogue between the persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some have suggested that, that God was talking to angels. And he was telling the angels, hey, let's make man in our image. But that's, that's not so. Because angels weren't made in God's image. The Bible says that, that of all created things, we're the only ones that were made in God's image. And angels had no part in creation. Apart from that. We don't even know if angels were, 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 were around. You know, when, when, when all this was going on. Many believe that, 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 that they were created in between verses 1 and 2. Of creation, we really don't know. I mean, everything else is just speculation. We could just, you know, speculate. A lot of people believe that that, that Satan fell between verses one and two, and, or or some people believe that, that that before God even created the heavens and the earth, before He created the earth, that, that Satan had already fallen. You know, a lot of people believe that that he, that he fell between verses one and two because it says that God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Meaning that maybe something happened there that caused there to be without form and void. We don't really know. I mean, there's a lot of good speculations out there, but there's speculations, nothing that we could say for sure from Scripture. But again, there's all to say that, that God wasn't speaking to the angels. You know, God was speaking to Himself. So this is a divine dialogue between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, saying, "Hey, let's let's make man in our own image and in in our own likeness." So what does it mean to be created in God's image? What does it mean for me and you to be created in God's image? What separates us from all other creation? What separates us from the animals? What separates us from the trees? What separates us from, from, from everything else? Does it mean that God looks like us? Is God, you know, short with fingers and hands? Or is he tall? Is he, is he, is he fat? Is he skinny? Is he, is he, what is he? Is he dark? Is he light? Does that mean that, that God looks like us? No, but it means that we as humans are made in the likeness of God. And, and being made in the likeness of God, we can love like God to a lesser degree because God's love is God, perfect love of God. And we can love to a lesser degree. We can show compassion like God shows compassion. We can show mercy like God shows mercy. We can exercise free will as God exercises free will. We can exercise dominion as God exercises dominion. We can exercise authority as God exercises authority. So we're made in His image and His likeness. I mean that, that, that we have God's, God has attributes, but we have characteristics. 
and our characteristics are similar to God's attributes. Again, we could love just like God loves, but to a lesser degree. But we're able to, to, to experience these same things that, 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 God, that God can. And most importantly, we can have communion with God because we have the ability to know God intimately through His Spirit in us. And that's what separates us from all creation. You know, is that we have the ability to know the Creator. All their creatures, I mean, they go about their lives, you know, they live and they die and they do their thing, and, 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 and that's it. But we come to this earth and we have the, the opportunity, we have the ability to know our Creator, to have a, a relationship with God the Creator. Us as created beings, created in His image, we can know the Creator. Some have, I mean, there's a, a cult out there and stuff that, that, that teach that God is a person, you know, that God was a man. And, the, and they, use, they use this verse to, you know, to back up their claims. And they say, yeah, see, look, we're, God in, we're made in God's image. Meaning that, 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 that God is a man just like us. And, there's, and then they use other supporting scriptures you know, in the Bible to all the scriptures to support their false claims. There's a scripture in Isaiah. I don't know it off the top of my head. But it says, God's arm is not too short that he can't reach. His ear is not too heavy that he can't hear. But your sins have separated you from God. Now, does that mean that God has hands and he has arms? And that he has an ear. We talk to the Mormon there, you know, because they believe that, that Jesus was a man, and that he was a regular man, and that he was exalted to Godhood, and that we could be the same way. And they, and they use those verses to support their claims. And then you take him to that song where it says that, that, that God hides us under the shadow of his wing. You say, No, God's a chicken because he has wings. <laughs> so which one is it? Is he a man? Is he a chicken? Why does it say that he has wings? Why does it say that he has hands? There in Exodus. When, when Moses is describing God's actions for the people of Israel, it says that God says, Moses said that God repented from destroying the children of Israel. Now, does that mean that, that God repents, that he turns back? All these words are what's what are called anthropomorphisms, which, is, which are human characteristics used to describe God, much like, a, much like personification. You know, we use personification to, to give human attributes to a non-human thing like the church, like the chair was sitting in the corner. And we know chairs don't have behinds to sit down. You know, they don't have feet, they don't have legs. But yet we use these human, these human characteristics to describe something that's not human. So the chair was sitting in the corner. There's that one that everyone uses. The, the leaf dance as it fell from the tree. That's personification. Now, anthropomorphism is using human characteristics to describe God. Like saying, God's arm is not too short that he can't reach to save you. His ear isn't too heavy that he can't hear. God tucks us under the shadow of his wing. You know, it, it, it's human characteristics to describe God. I mean, and to think that, that the human mind, I mean, we're, we're limited. You know, there's only so much that, that we could say about God because we can't know him fully. And, and if we could know him fully, if we could understand God fully, that, I mean, that's not a problem to me. You know, some people battle with that and they're saying, I can't put my faith and trust in, in something I can't understand completely. But to me, that's not a problem because if I could understand God fully, then that means that God would be right here. And I wouldn't need a God because I'm at the same level. I could be God. But because God is sovereign, because God is omniscient, because he is omnipotent, because he is, is he's so vast, he's so great, that we can't fully know Him, I mean, that makes Him God. But again, the Bible uses these, these, these terms to describe God. You know? uh, he gives them the, these human characteristics to describe, to describe His attributes. Like where it says there that he, that he tucks into the shadow of His wing, it talks about His loving, compassionate, 
love and care that, that God has for his children. I just think it's amazing. So again, we're created in his image. Later on, we'll see that, that he breathed his spirit in us. And, and we're separate from all, all the other creatures because we have the, the ability to know God intimately. And the seventh day, chapters two, chapter two, verses one to three, talks about the seventh day. It says this, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, with which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. So the seventh day says that God ended his work and he rested. And that word rested right there means he ceased from creating. He ceased from his creation. So at that moment, we say that the work of creation was complete. And God did this as an example for us to follow. We are called to rest physically, you know, but also spiritually. And I mean, I know there's all kinds of different beliefs out there. You know, there's this, the evolutionary theory that believes that, you know, that takes God completely out of the picture and believes that there was some huge explosion and, and, and out of chance, you know, life was formed. There's even uh, evolutionary creation, which, you know, there's a weird, weird group of, of believers that, that believe that, that, that God created the earth, but then he let it evolve on its own. We see that's not true either. We see that God was... was was intimately involved in every aspect of creation from, from day one. And we see that, that, that God created the heavens and the earth in a literal six days. In the seventh day, He rested. There's another school of thought out there that, that, that teach that these days are not actual days as, you know, 24-hour periods, but that they're long periods of time. Or that, or that in between these days, there was long periods of time. You know, they try to, you know, use that to make up for all the creation. Well, no way... Well, to me, that just says that, that they don't believe that God could create all this in six days. I mean, I believe that God could have created it in one day. I honestly do. He could have. But he made a, a six-day, seventh-day rest, you know, as an example for us. He could have done it all in, in one evening. He's God. He could do whatever he wants. He's, he's, he's all-powerful. He could have created everything, man, in a moment. With just a spoken word, everything was created. But he did it for, for our example. You know, so we believe that that this creation was a literal six-day creation. And then when God says that he rested there on the seventh day, that this rest means that he ceased from creating, meaning that's it. And really this is, this aligns with, with what science teaches, you know, as a second law of thermodynamics teaches that, that, that all energy is, 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 is not, that energy is not being produced, but that it's being exhausted. And it would make sense if God Cease from creating at that moment. Then now all energy, instead of instead of continuing to grow, it's being exhausted. So he says that he ceased from all his creation. He rested. It's not that God was tired and said, "Man, that was hard work. Six days of creating. I got to take a break." <laughs> That's not God. 
You know, but he ceased from creating. I mean, that's it. He stopped creating. The, the work of creation was complete. And again, he did it for an example of, as an example for us. You know, we're called as, as believers to, to find rest in him. And not just physically. I mean, it's important to, to take physical rest. It's not a commandment. I mean, God's not going to strike you down if you work seven days a week. I used to think that when I first became a Christian, I was so just, I guess, legalistic in a way. And I would, I would do, they would ask me to work Sunday. I'm like, no way, I'm not working Sunday. That's the Lord's day. And even though I probably only went to church for an hour and a half and the rest of the day did whatever I wanted, I just, but there's no way I'll go to work because that's God's day. And people would get, could trip up over like weird things like that. You know, but, you know, it's not a commandment. We're not commanded to, to, to rest on the, to take a physical day of rest. I mean, of course, it's beneficiary to us. I mean, I go, go, go. You know, one of the days when I do just kind of just lay out and just relax. Like, man, I feel super refreshed. I mean, you know, it's good for us, good for our bodies. But, I mean, it's not a, not a command. You know, if you don't do it, you're in sin and you're breaking God's law and you're going to go to hell. Um, you'll probably just be really tired and you'll feel like hell. <laughs> <laughs> but he says again that he sees from creating, he rested, and he did this as an example for us. Interesting that there in Hebrews chapter 4, now, Hebrews chapter 4 talks about the, the believer's rest. And, and, and this rest for the believers is, is the rest, resting in the finished work of Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 is an awesome chapter. If you guys ever get a chance to read it, I encourage you guys to. It's just an amazing, amazing, amazing chapter. And, and, he's, and he's likening the, the, the God's, God's rest here in creation to the rest that us as believers are, are going to experience, are supposed to experience. And it talks about the believer's rest in the finished work of Christ. That rest from no longer trying to be righteous in God by our own works. You know, for a, that rest in us, you know, as we're called to cease from, from working for our salvation. Cease from, from working for our own righteousness and just rest in the finished work of Christ. So we as believers, we are called to rest. You know, but, but rest in Christ. Jesus said that He is our Sabbath. He is our Sabbath day rest. And in the New Testament, he, he calls out to the people and says, Hey, if anyone, if, if, anyone is labor, if anyone labors and is tired, says, Come to me. Says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Says, and in me you will find rest. So we see that the Lord is our rest. And us as believers, we're called to a rest, to a spiritual rest from our works, from our deeds, in order to gain righteousness. I mean, not, not that the believer should be stagnant and not do nothing for God, you know, because... You know, we show we show our faith by our works and, and, and our works by our faith. But we're called to, to just enter into this spiritual rest of of stopping, I mean, ceasing from, from trying to be righteous in our own works. That's that spiritual rest that is promised to the believer. I wasn't going to go through the rest of chapter 2, but I'm, I, I want to just finish chapter 2 briefly. And uh, there's no notes for it, sorry. You guys could just follow along. This is 8, chapter 2 says... The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to, the, to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of its first is Pishon. It was the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. Verse 14. The name of the third river is Hittichel. And it is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is Euphrates. 
Then verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden and to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So he goes on to, to, to explain how, how the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. So there, there in Eden, you know, there's a little section where God had a garden. And in this garden was the knowledge of the, of, of the tree of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he commanded, he told Adam, hey, of every tree of the garden you may freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, notice that it doesn't say that in the day you eat of it, I will kill you. But he says, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And sometimes, you know, we go through our walks just thinking that this God is just this vengeful God. And you got to just walk and walk on eggshells and watch what you do and watch what you say. Because any of those day, bam, he's going to zap you. You know, and, and it's, it's sad because there are a lot of believers live like that. I mean, I live, I've lived like that before, too. And, and, it, it's, and it's hard. It's hard to live like that because you never really enter into a love relationship with God. You always just see him as this, like, commander-in-chief, as this, like, just authority figure, but never as a loving God. And we see that that's not God. He even told Adam, he says, hey, there's this tree here. He says, don't eat of it because when you eat of it, if you eat of it, you're going to die. So he's telling him the consequences of eating of this tree. He's not saying, if you eat of it, I'm going to strike you down. No, but it was a consequence. He's telling him, this is a consequence of you if you eat this. So, so we see here just the tone of a loving father instructing his son. Don't do that because you're going to get hurt. I mean... Some of you guys have kids, some of us have nephews and nieces and little baby cousins and we tell them, don't play in the street, don't touch that. For me, the biggest thing when we're growing up is my, my, my nephews, you know, I always tell them to, to not put their fingers in the, in the outlets. <laughs> I don't know why kids love doing that. They see the outlet and they just want to put something in there. Like, don't do that, you're going to get hurt, don't do that. And I think I remember one time I had to, to smack my nephew's hand really hard because he kept on doing it. You know, but we see that it was out of love. You know, I... I, I I'm mean, telling him, don't do that because you're going to get hurt. I'm not saying, don't do that because you do not want to hurt you. And that's what God is telling Adam here. He says, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. If there's consequences to eating of this tree. So we see that, that he said this in, in the tone of just a loving father to his son. If you eat of this tree, you're going to die. Now the question comes up, well, why did God create this tree in the first place if he knew that they could eat of it and, and, and die in sin? The answer is because God gave us free will. And, and God calls us to be in a loving relationship with Him. He's not a forced one. You know, He He, he gave us the, the capacity you know, to exercise free will. It's awesome to know that, that, that God is, is the owner of the heavens and the earth, of all creation, of everything. And he has rightful ownership to everything that's, that, that's, that's here on earth, even humans, because He created us. He has rightful ownership to us, but yet He gives us free will. He's not going to violate our free will. There's one thing that, that God does not own. That refuses to own, and that's willfully, um, forcefully, is your free will. He has given us free will, and He gave us the capacity to, to, to surrender our free will to Him and to allow His will to reign in our lives instead. And He's never going to force Himself upon us. You know, he's never going to force His love upon us. He's never going to force us to, us to love Him. We've said it before forced love is rape, and God is not a rapist. He, he allows us to exercise love towards Him if we choose to. And if we don't, then He's not going to force us. 
So again, he, he, he put this, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden, and he gave man a choice. Hey, if you do this, there's consequences. You know, but you just continue walking with me, then hey, man, there's, there's benefits. And, and God, I mean, he could have he taken that free will out of us, you know, and just made us robots and, and, and made us like those, you know, like those teddy bears that you squeeze and say, I love you, I love you. <laughs> made us like that, right? Oh, and say, oh, look, look at my creation, they love me. That's not love. That's forced. That's forced. That's not real. You know, and what God wants is, is He wants this, this a real relationship with us. And He's given us, us the capacity to enter this, to, into this relationship with Him through, through willfully submitting our free will to His. So He says, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, this is one of my favorite, favorite scriptures here in this chapter, on the whole chapter of Genesis, you know, for obvious, obvious reasons. But it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So all throughout creation, he says, after, after, all, after every day that he created, he says, And it was good. And the Lord saw, saw it and said that it was good. Then he created man, he said, And that it was very good. But then now he comes to this, this aspect of man, and he says, that it is not good. So it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. But then when it comes to, to, the, to the aspect of man being alone, he says, it is not good. It is not good that man should be alone. He says, I will make him a helper comparable to him. So that word good means perfect. It's not perfect. Everything's perfect. He made, he made creation day one, and everything was perfect. Day two, he made, he made the, the stars and, and, and everything in heaven. It was perfect. I mean, and our, our version of perfect is not God's version of perfect. God's version of perfect is, I mean, perfect. With all capital letters, perfect. Day three, he made it, it was perfect. Day four, perfect. Then he made man, he says, it's very perfect. It's excellent. But when he comes to, to man being alone, he says, it is not perfect. It is not good. He says, I will make him a helper comparable to him. So we, one thing that stands out to me is that, is that God saw Adam's need before Adam saw Adam's need. God saw Adam's need of, of a helpmate before Adam was even aware of his need. You know, and that's something that the Lord showed me when, when I was single, you know, and I was praying like, Lord, where is she? I've been saved for a couple months and I, I can't, where's my wife? You know, I start thinking like that. You know, Lord, where is she? You know, and then even, Lord, it's been a year. Lord, it's been two years. Lord, it's been four years. Lord, it's been five years. Lord, it's been six years. Where is she? And I'm thinking, and, I'm, and I'm, my prayers, I want to be like, Lord, you know I need this, you know what I'm like? And then I cease to realize that, that, that God was aware of my need before I was even aware of my need. And if I was aware of my need, it's because God put that in me, as we're going to see in the, in the following verses. So we see that God was aware of, of Adam's need before he was, he was aware of that need. And that's something that the, Lord, that the Lord encouraged me with, you know, when I was single, as I was praying for my helpmate, and the Lord said, and the Lord took me here, and, and, he, and he made me realize that, that he was aware of what I needed. He was aware that, 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 that I was praying for somebody, you know, before I was even aware of it. Before I even thought, like, man, I need a wife, like a godly wife, someone's going to serve the Lord with me. It's like, God already had that in mind, you know, before the creations of the world, before the foundations of the, of the world ever existed. In eternity's past, he already had that in mind for me. Then verse 19 says, Out of the ground, 
The Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle and to all the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So no doubt, Adam, in, before his fallen state, he was extremely intelligent. I mean, to think that, that the Lord gave him this task of naming every single animal, there's a lot of animals. You know, and God gave him the task of naming every single animal. And Adam, boom, the Lord bring him one, one by one. Cow, hippo, rooster, boom, boom, boom. Just, okay, just naming them. Back to back. You know, no doubt, before man's fallen state, you know, he was extremely intelligent. And it's, it's cool to see that, that, uh, that the Lord put him to work, so to say. You know, he, all right, he gave him a task. Start naming these animals. And then it says... But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So maybe as, as Adam was, was named these animals, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Kangaroo, Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe, Mr. and Mrs. He starts naming, and then somewhere along the way he realizes, huh, there's only one of me, there's no Mrs. Adam. Everyone else has a Mr. and Mrs. but me. So as he was working for the Lord, as he was working for God, as he was, you know, just, just walking, you know, to whatever God had called him to do, he realized his need. Another thing that the Lord ministered to me as, as I was praying for my helpmate, the Lord said, hey, just be busy about my business. You know, just be busy about what I called you to do. You know, and, and, and as, we're, as we're busy in the Lord, as you know, as we're busy in the Lord and the things of God, you know, he, he causes us to realize our need. I was right there serving the Lord and going on mission trips and doing all these things and it was awesome. You know, and then somewhere along the way and along the line, I thought, man, Lord, it'd be awesome if you know, if you brought me a wife and if you love missions also, if you're super into the Bible, this, that, the other, started making a list in my head. You know, but it, you see that, that, that the Lord causes us to enter into these fields of, of work, you know, so to say, to the duties of the Lord, so, so that we could be aware of our needs, those needs that He's already aware of. So He called him to name all these animals, and somewhere along the line, along the line He realized, like, huh, I'm, I'm missing my, my missus. And then verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her, he brought her to the man. Now notice this, it says that the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall unto Adam. So as Adam was resting in the Lord, as Adam was sleeping in the Lord, God was doing the work. That's an encouragement to, you know, to singles. That's something that the Lord showed me that. He's like, hey, just be busy about my business and just rest in me. We see that as Adam rested in the Lord, God was doing the work. As Adam slept, God was, God was working. And God said, hey, just, just rest in me. Just be busy about my business. Just rest in me and I'm going to take care of you. I'm like, all right, Lord. And sure enough, I was right there just... Just resting in the Lord, busy about his business, outreaches, Bible college, this, that, the other. And I still remember one, one outreach, we're in Pomona, we're doing a homeless outreach, and I was serving at the table. And uh, I, was, I mean, I just, I get plugged in wherever I can, you know, I'd love to serve. And I was right there, and then I was, work, I was uh, serving next alongside a lady, and she's like, oh, hi, uh, I'm Teresa. <laughs> like, I'm Liz's mom. It's <laughs> my mother-in-law. And... She's, and Liz was doing worship with a, with a friend of ours, Linda. She's like, oh, Liz's mom. And I thought, oh, cool, you know. And I was right there just resting in the Lord, being busy about the Father's business. And, and it's like the Lord was doing the work, you know, as I was resting in Him. And, you know, later on, come to find out that, you know, now Liz and I are married. 
And now the lady I was serving next to was my mother-in-law. <laughs> just awesome to see how the Lord does these things, man. Basically, again, Adam rested, Adam slept, and God, as, as Adam was sleeping, God was doing the work. And at the end of verse 22, it says, and he brought her to the man. God brought her to the man. You know, and, and I encourage all my like brothers and stuff, and even 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 sisters in the Lord, you know, who are single and, and are out there, and they're like, you know, I mean, I know some brothers have to rebuke sometimes because they're, they're out there like on every dating site, and they're out there just trying to go to every single event with the intention of finding their wife, and they go to these Bible studies, to the young adults Bible studies, and to all these things, and and then and they get there, they think, well, maybe she's here, maybe she's there, you know. And I had a, <laughs> one brother specific in, in particular that was always like that. And uh, he would always invite me to all these events. It's cool, it's cool. I was single too, you know. And, but he knew that I loved going just to like meet people, you know, like just fellowship. And just, to just hear different teachers and stuff. But, you know, then I found out that he was, that he always had in the back of his mind that he wanted to find his wife. And I'm like, bro, I'm not going with you no more, man, because you're going to get me in trouble. I thought I'd do it. <laughs> but he was like that, you know. He was, he was always trying to do all the work for God. But we see that, that God, as Adam rested, uh, as Adam slept in him, he did the work. And it says that God brought her to him. So we see that, 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 that this, is, this is the order. You know, this is what the Lord does. As we rest in him, you know, he brings, he brings you your perfect mate. He brings you that, 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 that help, you know, that complimentary, you know, personal you know, helper. And that's what he did for Adam. And then Adam said, verse 23, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was t- taken out of man. I would see that there was an immediate recognition. Adam woke up and he, and he said, this is now, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Meaning he saw her and he recognized her. I mean, he, he recognized that she was made for him. You know, <laughs> maybe he saw these chimpanzees and gorillas and monkeys and, and he thought, nah, I don't think so. I don't think she's a one. I don't think she's for me. But he woke up, you know, he saw that, he saw Eve. He saw the woman. He said, well, that's bone of my bone. That's flesh of my flesh. He recognized immediately, you know, that's the one. You know, and people, people sometimes ask, you know, like, well, ask me, like, well, how do you know when, when it's the one? How do you know? Like, like, don't you think we should date around and do all this? You know, like, I'm very against, um, this is just my personal opinion. There's not, like, doctrine or whatever. It's just my personal opinion. Like, I'm very against, like, Believers like dating around a lot, you know. I mean, and it happens, you know. People in the church date around, and you know, they see, you know, you're, you've been with like every every girl in the youth group, and you go to another. Like, I, I, and you know, and I'm, I'm very against that because when when I was in the world, like my life consisted of a lot of a lot of that stuff, you know. And when I got saved, that was my first ever conviction. Before I even read the Bible, something in me was, like, that was my first ever conviction. Before I even knew it was wrong, the Lord convicted me of that lifestyle, and and the Lord the Lord told me. Well, it's like I talked to God and we made a little deal and we said, all right, Lord, the next person I'm going to date is going to be the one that I'm going to marry. And that's how it worked out, that the next person I dated was, was my wife, Liz. You know, and then, you know, and after, of course, we got married afterwards, you know, but, and again, this is just my personal opinion. You know, I don't, I don't think it has to be like that, but, you know, um, I, I believe that, that for me personally, you know, that that's the way it should be. I mean... I don't agree with, with believers dating around like how, like how they do in the world. I mean, that's not different. I mean, if, if we're called to be sanctified, then I believe that our dating life is supposed to be sanctified as well. You know, and, and I definitely believe that God is big enough to, to do the work. You know, I definitely believe that, that God is big enough to be trusted with, with our helpmate. You know, one thing that, that God showed me is that He's more interested in who I'm going to marry than, I'm more inter- than, than I am. 
You know, God is more interested in who you're going to end up with than, than even you are. Because God, God created marriage. He created this institute of marriage. And there Malachi says that the purpose of marriage is, is, that, is, that, is that they will raise a godly offspring. So, so that's always in the forefront of, of, of God's mind, you know, when it comes to marriage. Is that the, the purpose of a marriage is that for two, you know, godly people to come together to raise godly children, fill the earth with godly people to spread the word of God. So we see that God's more interested in who we're going to end up with than we are. So, so to me, there's no point of going out there and doing all, you know, striving and, you know, all those things. God can use all those things. Don't get me wrong. We have some awesome friends that I've met on, you know, on, on a, on a like a dating platform and stuff and they're going to get married next year we love both of them and, and we just think like man that's of the Lord right there like you see them both and you know we talk to them both and we know them both really well and, like that's of the Lord you know but that's that's very rare you know it doesn't happen all the time that's the truth of it that you know that it's, it's rare it's rare they're, they're like they're a rare occasion you know that doesn't happen all the time but uh, this is all to say that, that again that as Adam rested God did the work and then God brought her to him. And then Adam just knew immediately, that's the one. You know, again, when, when my wife and I when we were dating, like before we even dated, you were praying. Then we talked, and then we like, you know, we said, hey, I like you, hey, I like you too. Hey, you know what, let's not talk, let's just pray, let's see if it's the Lord. And it's like, I knew already, like, man, Lord, it's like, I just knew. You know, but then as, as I was seeking the Lord, the Lord would just confirm it, like, like man, the Lord was confirming Confirming it, like the way every scripture that I read, every single person I talked to, is like the Lord was telling me, like, yeah, that's her, like, duh, like I know the Lord, but I just want to make sure that, like, yeah. Man. <laughs> so you know, people ask me, how do you know? You just know. We just know. I mean, Adam recognized her immediately. He immediately saw her and said, "That's the one. That's born of my bone, flesh of my flesh." It was an immediate recognition. So when the Lord brings that person, we'll know. And then verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's very important right there. Because Jesus mentioned this in the New Testament. You know, now if it's mentioned here, and then Jesus said it, you know, that's worth noting. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now we live in California where rent is super expensive, <laughs> and it's hard, it's hard to do this. You know, I mean, for newlyweds, you want to do things right. You want to get out of your parents' house and, and just do your own thing. But, man, sometimes the economy just makes it so hard. You know, and I remember when Liz and I were, were, were planning our wedding and we're like a month away from the, from the wedding day. And we're like, man, I got nowhere to take this girl to. And I'm, I'm like applying everywhere. I'm throwing applications left and right. I'm, I'm even applying for stuff I can't even afford just to get something. You know, it's like, man, it was, I was striving. I was like, Lord, we need somewhere to live. You know, and then uh, some opportunities came up, you know, uh, one of the pastors over there was Covina, Pastor Lau was like, hey, we have this whole house to myself, worst comes to worst, if you don't find anything, you can live here with me, and, and, and I, I, I really appreciated that, and, and you know, and I really, it really meant a lot that he, that he offered, you know, and then our, my, my father-in-law also offered, and he said, hey, we well, just come here for a while, and, and all that was awesome, I, mean, I was really thankful, but, but in my head, I was like, Lord, I want to do this. I want to do. I want to do Genesis two twenty four. My Lord, I want to find somewhere. You know, I want to. I want to just. I want to do things right. And and we're on our honeymoon. And we're like the third day on our honeymoon. We still don't have nowhere to go back to. And we're out there enjoying our honeymoon. I'm thinking, man, where are we gonna go when we come back? <laughs> <laughs> like, where are we gonna live? You know, like oh, that's. And then it's crazy that 
three days before we left, I got a phone call from the place where we live at now, and, and the, the landlord, he's like, hey, we got a spot open up, are you still interested? He said, you gotta take it like right now, the credit's gonna go fast. I explained to him the situation where, why, you know, I'm not gonna get back to Saturday, if you could hold it, that'd be awesome, if not, that'd be awesome as well. And he's, uh, and he's like, you know what, I can't do anything for you, he says, these things, they're in high demand, the brand is okay. He's out here, I'll give you the owner's number, talk to her, you know, you guys work it out. Talk to the owner, let her know. She's like, yeah, don't worry, come Saturday, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have, we'll, we're putting a new carpet, so it won't be ready till Saturday. Anyway, come again Saturday morning. I'm like, all right, what time do you get there? She's like, nine. I'm like, all right, we'll be there at eight. <laughs> we want to be there. We touched down LAX at like three in the morning. Our friends picked us up, spent the night at my, at my father and mother-in-law's. Uh, nine in the morning, we're over there talking to this lady. By 11 o'clock, we're moving in. That man, God is so good. You know, like he was, he honored, you know, our desire to just do things right. You know, and I always encourage, you know, young couples to, man, no any couple, you know, but young couples specifically when they're about to get married, like, hey, find your own place. It's just, God's going to bless it. You know, I wouldn't, he's right here in the Bible. You know, if you're, if you're obeying his command, then he's going to bless it. If, you, if, you, if your desire is to leave your father and mother and, and just do your own thing and, you know, be married, and just, you know, then God's going to bless it because it's in the word. And it says, verse 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So they were not ashamed because you know, sin had not enter, entered into their minds yet. No, they were pure. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, to the pure, all things are pure. Meaning, you know, when your mind is innocent, it's like you're doing something that other, things, other people may look as, as bad, but you have that, that innocent intention, you know, so to you is not bad. It's to the pure, all things are pure. So we see that Adam and Eve, when the Lord created them, they were naked. They were just, they were unashamed. They were unashamed, he says, and we're not ashamed. Now, that's important because later on, next Wednesday, when we read chapter 3, I don't want to say too much, but give you a sneak preview. <laughs> chapter 3, we see that, that when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing that they did was they wanted to go hide themselves because they were naked. They were ashamed of their bodies. And we live in a society today you know, that, that is very ashamed of their bodies. You know, I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm too short, I'm too tall, I'm too light, I'm too dark, I'm too, you know, and there's just something like about that that's associated with the fall. Because when, when before sin came into the world, there was, there was no shame, there was no body shame. Now, you know, it's like, we look in the mirror, I'm like, oh man, that man, now I got these things in my ears, oh, and stuff. You know, it's like, and there's just this shame associated with our bodies now. Adam and Eve sin, the first thing they did, they went to go hide themselves, oh man. They didn't try to make it right, they didn't try to, but they went and they hid themselves because they were ashamed of their bodies. And, you know, some people say, oh, I'm not buff enough, I'm not, I'm too skinny, I'm too scrawny, I'm not going to work out. It's like all these things that come with the image, you know, and, and, and the reason why, this is very important, the reason why, you know, our image is attacked so much is because we're creating the image of God. The reason why sin is going to attack your image, why is it, when you look in the mirror, say, ugly, you're this, you're that, you're that, the other. It's because we're made in the image of God. And what he's attacking is the image of God in us. He's not attacking us. He's attacking the image of God in us. And we'll see again, this, this, is, this is like prevalent in our society, you know, where people are just so ashamed of their bodies, so ashamed of their identities. Why? Because Satan knows that we're creating the image of God. Angels weren't, you know, all those created things were not, but we were. So Satan's going to attack that. He's a, that's the first thing he attacked was their image. Why? Because they were formed in the likeness and in the image of God. Now remember that next time you look in the mirror, you think, oh man, this is not... I thought I'm, I'm preaching to myself, you know, but if you guys can take me from it, 
cool. But next time you look in the mirror and you start thinking, oh, this, that, the other, oh, man, why this? Oh. That's Satan attacking the image of God in your life. That's Satan attacking the image of God and who you are. He's trying to, to distance you from God by attacking who God is in your life. We'll see that before the fall, they were naked and they were not ashamed. That leads me to say that that, that all of us you know, are, are created with a purpose. That God knew what He was doing when He was creating us. And that He loves us just like we are. And also that we've came to the Lord and we've been made righteous by the blood of Christ. Hey, there's no need to be ashamed. You know, both of our sin and, and of our appearance. You know, I heard, I was talking to somebody I don't remember where it was, you know, but it was a couple of weeks ago. And then uh, we we're talking about this, you know, city terrace and the church plan and everything. And they're, they asked me, are you going to get your tattoos removed? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm trying to get more. And they started, again, attacking your image. Like, oh, well, you're a pastor. You got to do this. You got to look like this. You got to look like that. I'm like, hey, man, I'm not ashamed. Too late. I'm like, too late, right? <laughs> it's too many. Too expensive to take off now. So I just keep adding. <laughs> but it's like... You know, there's no shame. You know, I'm in Christ. I know I'm in Christ, and and I'm not, I'm not ashamed. You know, I'm not ashamed of of who I was, of who I am, of what I look like, because I'm in Christ, and that's really all that matters. When God sees me, He doesn't see me for me. You know, but He sees me for the righteousness of Christ. When God sees you, He doesn't see you for you for everything that you've done. Your whole He's got your whole rap sheet right here. No, but He sees us. You know, as unashamed. He sees us as in the righteousness. Of his own son. I just think that's amazing. You know, I think that's a good a good point to end on. And with that, we'll close the book and we'll pick up where we left off next Wednesday in the Old Testament. Okay.